Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. This episode is with Michael Hill, the voice and the face of World Superbike. What doesn't he do? He hosts the Paddock Show on World Superbike. He even wrote a musical, the World Superbike Musical. I think it's uh, it's called the On Two Wheels, the, the Superbike Musical. Uh, he's a commentator for Moto America. Uh, he's also a manager for riders. I mean, this podcast... This is one of my favorites. He opens up, and I got to know the real Michael Hill. You are going to enjoy this. Without further ado, my newest, bestest buddy, Michael Hill. I got it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm going to cut the music off earlier because he's got to go. But I want to hear the, the beginning part. You know, I love the beginning part. One, two, three, and... Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. Let's get right to it. Let me tell you something, man. This next, the guy I'm introducing you now, and I mean it's from the bottom of my heart, if there was ever a me, an English version of me, it's this guy right here. When I first met him, I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. This is, this is literally me. I met him in Laguna Seca at the World Superbike Race, and this guy, let me tell you something, he is the white James Brown. James Brown, be like, hey, you want to take a little break now? I mean, take a little break now. You work too hard. This guy is the, he's the host of the World Superbike Paddock Show. He works for Moto America Live. He's also a manager for Motorcycle Racers. He does everything, and I, honestly, and, and I'm sure he's got a mixtape coming out with Drake and DJ Khali because he's got a musical, the World Superbike Musical. My newest bestest buddy who's always been a buddy mr michael hill how you doing buddy well i'm, I'm very rarely lost for words but what an introduction thank you man that's uh that's uh, that's very good but i mean i gotta say one thing that you've got more hair than me you've actually got more hair than me so we, we couldn't be twins mate we couldn't be twins <laughs> I don't know about that. All I got to say is if we are in the same place together, we have all the energy in the world. I mean that people could just touch us, and that's enough energy to light up San Francisco. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart, dude, because you are so engaging, and it's so, and the passion that you give off is just electrifying. And that's what I love about you. When I first went to the World Superbike Race, and you had the, and the paddock show, and I was like, this is what motorcycle racing needs because I mean you can't you can't sell to a person like myself who's a geek you can't sell to the you have to get people who aren't who are just kind of like casual observers you got to grab them and that's what you do you grab them in with your personality the way you talk to the riders I mean it's literally a party in the paddock how did that come about when you first came up with that um, from the from the World Superbike side of things I mean I started out as a journalist um, 15 years ago a bit longer um, and just really by being in the right place at the right time, I was asked to go and do a, a grid walk in Assen for, for Superbike News back in the day when when we didn't have all of this technology recording on Zooms. Uh, it was literally the big 10 kilo battery packs and the big headsets, you know, and, and I was like, I don't know, I've never done anything like that before. I mean, I, I did drama school and things like that. So I was always kind of into being a little bit extrovert and a little bit out there. So I was kind of like, why not? You know, biking is my passion. Let's go and give it a go. So, yeah, I did the grid walk in Assen, um, which I loved. And then from there, it just kind of it spiraled. So, you know, I was very lucky with uh, with Superbike News to get a, get a break. And my mom and dad have always encouraged me, you know, if you believe in something, you know, if you, if you want something badly enough, then go after it. So I just didn't really take no for an answer. I was a bit of a pain in the ass and just kind of knocking on everybody's doors. And I remember saying to Heather Watson from, from Ducati, she was the press officer at the time, I got to interview Checker. Michael, there's no time. What, what about Giuliano then? Let me interview Giuliano. Michael, we have no time. So I'll come back tomorrow. I'll come back tomorrow. And I'm sure in the end, they just let me do these interviews years ago just to get rid of me because I was just a complete pain in the ass, you know? 
But I wouldn't take no for an answer. And I just kind of knew that, you know, I was working in the city. I was working in banking technology, which is miles away from what I do now. And I just kind of thought, no, this is, this is a different career, but I love this. You know, I love the sport. And if I can put a little bit of me into the sport and, and kind of sort of put some of my passion into it, who knows what will happen. So that's, that's how it started. And then obviously Dorna took over the world championship um, sort of eight, nine years ago now. And I was lucky enough to be kept on by them. And then, yeah, basically I was working across different departments, as you probably would have realized I was still doing some TV stuff with World Superbike at the time and splitting across the paddock show. You know, it was kind of all different departments. So they kind of centralized a lot of things and a decision was made after talking to me to, to sort of move into the marketing department and, and kind of be more on that side of things, you know. Uh, not that I don't like doing the TV stuff, as you mentioned with Moto America. I love that. It, it's a different style of, of, of work and a different style of presenting but you know with world superbike I'm, I'm really fortunate that the guys around me that you know the whole team in, in world superbike have kind of trusted me in a way to do some crazy things that we've done over the years and you know not everything has worked you know and some things have come back and bitten me on the ass but it's kind of <laughs> you know for the most part it's been a lot of fun and i mean it's kind of like you like what you say like you get up on a morning and you get to do a job that you absolutely love and it's you know, not that I didn't like my job in, in banking technology, but, you know, um, <laughs> this, this is a little bit different. And, and I love it. You know, I get up on a morning, I'm living and breathing and talking motorcycles. And, you know, like you said in the intro, you know, what people see when I'm presenting on the paddock show is me. That's generally me. That's not an, that's not an act. It's just that's who I am, you know. So it's, yeah, it's nice to be recognized for, for, for sort of doing something that people can, can sort of warm to, I guess. And um yeah, I mean, right now I'm just riding the crest of a wave. I'm loving my job. I think World Superbikes is in a great place. Um, it's just a shame that we don't go back to the US. You know, that's, that's the one thing that I do miss is not having the round at Laguna or at another track. But who knows? Maybe in the future we will go back. But yeah, that's that's kind of how it started. Sort of, sort of being in the right place at the right time. Just being a complete annoying pain in the ass teenager that was just kind of like, this is my big chance and I'm going to do it. And you know, um, and fortunate enough that that it worked out. So yeah, I'm, I'm really blessed. Well, I think honestly, it's it's a, it's a a combination of you can be a pain in the ass, but if it's a pain in the ass and a person sees it's 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 genuine and you're and you're passionate about it and it's not a it's not a job where somebody's like I've got to get this lined up because blah blah because I got a deadline and that's different I feel like ah the hell with this guy but when it's a passion and you can tell somebody really wants it and they keep trying and they keep knocking the door you have to let them in I mean when somebody shows you that this is what I would love to do I want to do it and you'll sleep at their doorstep just to get your foot in the door they have to let you in so and that's what it's like when you go to that World Superbike paddock when I first met you I was like. Yes, you can't fake the passion that you have. You can't fake that. I remember having you had Sykes on the uh, on, on the on the disc, you know, and you were talking to him. He talking about like how'd you set that lap record? And he goes, "You just gotta have big balls." And we all laughed. Yeah, yeah was that was great. with Giuliano. I remember. Do you know what I was talking to? Um I can't remember who I was talking to now. Um, it might have been Greg Haynes, who's a commentator for Eurosport. And we were talking about Laguna and we were talking about, because I'd just been back there for Moto America and everyone was talking about the corkscrew. I said, no, no, I said, and it's funny that you, you bring that up. That's a memory that I have in my head, that it was uh, Giuliano Sykes and, and Sylvain Gintoli on the on the paddock show. Uh, and Sykes made the comment, oh, it's, it's about who's got the biggest cojones. And, and I remember Gintoli coming back and saying, yeah, he's got bigger, bigger balls than me or something like that. I can't remember the exact way that it went. And it's just, but that's what the paddock show is about, you know? And it's it's kind of, it's not for the media per se. I mean, it is for the media in terms of the media can go and watch it. But the, the idea, I think the different, uh, differentiation between sort of a media press conference and, and the paddock show is that it is for the most part unscripted. I mean, you'll know from stuff that you do, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes and we, we do a lot of work and you know, I do a lot of preparation in terms of statistics to try and make sure that we get things right because it's live and you, and you don't want to make a mistake. But 
it's not the the boring could be careful not boring questions but the the typical questions where uh, at the end of a race so scott redding you just finished on the podium how do you feel how was the race but okay that's that's great but i understand why those questions are asked in that particular moment because it's for tv and for commercial reasons and i get all of that but the paddock show is is developed into something that is really for the fans and you know something that you know, I was a fan as a kid. So the fact that we can actually bring fans into the championship, you know, and I think you've been there in the years when, okay, we've got a 50 minute chat show with these riders. One question from me, right? Who's got a question for Sykes? Who's got a question for Jonathan Ray? And it's, remember the first year in, in America when we did that, because um, yes. we hadn't been there for many years. And it, there was just kind of like crickets, like nobody spoke. Yes. And I was like, I was like, oh, that's not what I expected. Like I, I, I honestly expected everyone to go crazy. And it took them like maybe two or three hours of the show for them to actually go, oh, this is not us just watching a show. We're part of the show. Yes. And that's, I think, if, I think you were there and I kind of just, I ended up coming off the stage and actually doing the commentary. I think I sat down next to some lady, started drinking a soda and she's like, yeah. but, you, but you're, you're the guy that's talking, right? And I was like, yeah, but this soda is great. Go and get me another one. You know what I mean? It's kind of, she was yes. like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like Scott Russell was there doing a Super Bowl commentary with me and everyone's just kind of like scratching their heads. Like we've never seen anything like this. And I think, that's what we've tried to do is just make it accessible. But, you know, Superbike's always been accessible. I remember being a kid in 1988, going with my dad to Donington Park, first Superbike race I ever went to as a real sort of small kid. And, you know, being being able to sit on Fred Merkel's roomy Honda, and I still have the picture sitting and talking to Fabrizio Pirovino as a, as a you know, five, six-year-old or whatever I was at the, maybe a bit older. I can't remember how old I was at the time. But, you know, it's kind of... Yeah, it's always been accessible. And I think now we're just in a different place with with World Superbike. I think the racing is good. And I think we live in a digital world now as well. So a lot of the things that we do on the stage now, back in 2010, 2008, before I was involved in it, you wouldn't have been able to suddenly send a tweet or do a live Instagram for people to see what it was. So I think that all of those things combined has helped to to push it to, to what it is. You know, and, I, and I'm just a small part of it. I mean, I know... You're a, you're a presenter, I'm a presenter. So I'd be lying if I if I didn't say, of course, there's a there's an element of it where if, if fans are wanting pictures or autographs or the little kids want to sit on the bikes, you, you're the guy that can tell the security guard, oh, just go and have a tea break, mate. Let the little girl sit on the bike. Like she's not yes. going to ride it off. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's that's nice, you know? So there is a, there's, there's an element of that. But for me, I'm just a really, really small part of, of, a, of a huge, big championship. And, you know, the, the, the stars are the riders and they always will be. And, I think I see my job really as a way of being able to bring the riders to the fans. And I think that's in my head how I've tried to position a lot of what we do rather than, you know, there's various championships around the world where if you want to see the riders, you end up walking around trying to find the riders. Yes. Where with yes. World Superbike, what we have now is the paddock show. And that's kind of the center. That's the heart of the fan zone. So we'll bring the riders to you. So you want to see the riders be here at four o'clock and don't leave until eight o'clock and we'll bring every single rider and we'll, we'll do the work for you. And I think, I think that's the biggest difference. Well, let me correct you. Uh, uh, correct you on the World Super Bike is not. It's not good. It's great. It's not good. It's great, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. It's great. Now it sells itself. Like I said, the geeks like me who stay up three or four o'clock in the morning who have nothing else to do. It it sells. I mean, the racing is not good. It's great. And if you're looking in from afar, like hey, I wonder what this is. You're gonna be oh my god, this is great racing, but. Anything else, it, everything else reels you in. When the guys come in from battling each other and they're coming through like, it's kind of like the Soul Train lineup. You know, they're coming down. 
They're coming down, and the fans are going crazy, and they're high-fiving them. And, and Top Rack is doing a stoppy, and you're right. like, and you can almost touch him as he's doing a stoppy, and he's doing like a little stunt show where, where like, honestly, it's like something out of a, a parking lot stunt show, but it's an actual rider. I mean, the fans are involved. It's like it's a, it's a party, and you can't help but gravitate to that. And this is no throwing no shade at all to World Superbike, but it's kind of like it's the little baby brother to MotoGP, and, that, and that's no disrespect. Because I, I mean, I, I, I love racing, and we know there's Formula One and there's MotoGP, and then everything else trickles down. And to get, and to, like I said, get that casual fan, you do what you do. The, the karaoke, my God, <laughs> man! I mean, you watch it, and you cannot help but just laugh and have a great time. When I think Katasan, when he sang that song, and you know, he's his English, you know, I mean, he does a great job. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it's spotty. But when he sang that song. You can't help but have a smile on your face. You're watching and you leave there going, I mean, that's a ticket well spent. No matter how much they paid to, uh, to, to go to that race, and they, I guarantee you, every fan, I mean, every person that went through that gate left going, damn, that was a good weekend. And that's what you yeah, I'd like to, to think. It. I'd like to think so. And I think it's, it's funny that you mentioned the karaoke and the, this kind of concert that we now do. It's um, well, we do it every year at Donington. We have them for five or six years. So we, we partner obviously with Two Wheels for Life, which is the charity of MotoGP. They have the Day of Champions and various online auctions and stuff. And, and I've been an ambassador for, for the charity for, for more than a decade now. It's, it's, I think what they do is fantastic. And, and, you know, if anyone isn't aware of Two Wheels for Life, um, you can check them out online. But they basically raise money through selling riders, memorabilia um, and various experiences that, you know, that you wouldn't normally get on a day-to-day um, situation or a day-to-day basis. And all of that money basically goes into buying um, motorcycles um, to allow or to facilitate doctors around the world to reach far reach, you know, where you, where you normally wouldn't be able to drive a car or it takes you hours and hours to go through the mountains. They use all that money to buy um, uh, medical equipment, but it, mo- most importantly, motorcycles. And that's how the doctors and, the, and, and et cetera get around to, to treat these people in, in, in some really remote, remote places. And then especially, you know, not wanting to talk about COVID and the pandemic. I don't want to say the dreaded C word on a podcast. Come on, my, mom, my mom's listening. I've got to be careful. But, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, we've, we've all had a really shit time for the last couple of years, you know, yes. in whatever walk of life, you know, and, you know, whether you've lost somebody personally, you know, we've all been affected by what's happened and, and two wheels for life kind of also changed a little bit of what they were doing. And they've been really, really instrumental in, in fighting COVID certainly in, in, in the UK and certainly with things that they've done and initiatives that they've done um, within the motorcycle world, which now means that we're back having full open paddocks. We can do the paddock show again because, you know, there are various initiatives out there, which is, you know, and two, tools for life have been part of that to help speed things up and make sure that things can happen. So, yeah, um, that, that's a little bit about the charity. But, yeah, the, the story about this came about, I mean, the only thing that ever gets me to turn off my phone, and you'll know, we've chatted on Twitter, and sometimes it'll be three in the morning, and I'm still busy beavering away, and it's because I've got no friends, you know what I mean? And I've got no hair <laughs> to do, so I'm kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just kind of like, oh, what am I going to do tonight? Let's just spend another three hours on Twitter and seeing what's happening in the Asia Road Racing Championship then, you know? It's kind of yes. whatever it happens to be. So, um, but the way that this actually came about was... Um, the only reason I ever turn off my phone is if I go to the theater. So um, I have a big respect of performers and obviously behind the scenes as well. And I've done some sort of amateur dramatic stuff in, in the past when I was younger. So it's, I can go to the cinema and watch the latest Lord of the Rings movie. Yes. And, a te- a t- and a text message will come in and I'll still happily text through the film. And I'll have like my friends with me or like ex-girlfriend in the past. Like, will you put your phone away? Like we're at the cinema. No, I'm not. Whatever. You know, I go to the theater from the minute I walk through the auditorium door get my beer or my wine or whatever it is 
sitting down in the order. And that's it. My phone is off. And like, you better not even talk to me. I could have gone with you. We could be my best friend. You could be talking to me about the show. Don't talk to me, man. Like I'm watching the show. I want to appreciate absolutely everything that's live. So it was kind of a bit of a joke that in the beginning I was kind of like, is it, this was maybe 2014, 2015. I had this idea of writing a superbike musical, just as you do. All my great ideas come when I'm in the bath, by the way. And there's, there's a vision <laughs> yeah. that people just don't want to think. So, Are, are you in the um, shower or, 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 on the, or on the can? No, for the full bath. Like, yeah, literally submerged, bubbles, rubber duck floating by. Do you know what I mean? That's where I get my inspiration, man. So, so I'm, I'm not even joking. Like, I'm really not even joking. In fact, you're very, very lucky that I actually got out of the bath and actually put this on because uh, we could have been doing this podcast in the bath. But I don't that, hear that. I don't and hear the, that. Yeah, believe me, the viewers don't even want to see that. So, um, but, you know, joking joke aside, so I had this idea maybe, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Wouldn't it be really cool if there was a, if there was a superbike musical, you know, because there's, there's been various musicals and plays written about you know, like the great escape and, and things like that where they've used motorcycles and like the first female to sort of circumnavigate the globe on a motorcycle has been made into a play so the, there are things out there but not really related specifically to racing so i was kind of like oh, it'd be kind of cool to do it and i kind of played around with some ideas but just it was hard i mean it's, it's hard to write a musical <laughs> believe yeah. me yeah i was like I'll, I'll park it so i didn't think anything about it and then we went to donnington for the british round maybe 2016 2017 and obviously working with the charity and, and the fact that the paddock show was growing at the time. And I thought I'd like to do something in the British round just to see if it works, you know, rather than just doing the conventional, a question of world Superbike and asking questions. What if we did something a little bit quirky? What if we got the riders to sing? And everyone was like, you're crazy. That's not going to happen. Like they're not going to sing. And I'm like, well, I sang on the stage. Like I sang on this. And they're like, yeah, but you're running the show. It's a bit different. You're not going to get the top riders to sing. They won't want to do it because it'll they'll feel like you're embarrassing them. And I'm like, I don't think they will. I said, I think if you actually pitch it right and you actually explain what it's for and you actually not produce a full on show, but if you actually, you know, really lay some guidelines as to what it's for, why we're doing it and actually do it in a really positive way. I said, I think that you'll find that most of the riders are just, just like me and you, right. They're just regular guys and girls that race motorcycles bloody fast. So yes. I'm sure that they would actually like to do it. So, you know, long story short, we, we played around with some ideas. We had a band that was playing, which was actually um, the band, the first band that ever played on the stage was the son, George Buckmaster, um, is the son of Simon Buckmaster, who was himself a 500 podium man years and years ago. He runs the Dynavolt Triumph team now in, in the World Supersport Championship. So his son, um, it was the CIA Landlords team at the time. They were running Jules Cluzel and Peter Sebastian and Kyle Smith on the yes. Hondas. So, yeah, so it was it's his, his team and obviously his son, basically was a drummer in a band um, and they just said, well, we'll donate the band for you. And if it's for charity, we'll give you the band. You make the show. And I was like, great, we've got a band. And then I'm kind of like, shit, like now what do we do? Like I've got, you know, so it was kind of like, it was all kind of done a little bit tongue in cheek. It was never really that serious and, until we suddenly had a band. And then uh, I spoke to Jordi Torres, um, literally, um, I think um, it, it, yes. it may have been at Laguna. It may, or was it before Laguna? I can't remember. It was either just before Laguna or just after Laguna. And I said, look, I've got this crazy idea, but would you would you sing a song? And you know Jordy, a lot of people listening will know Jordy Torres. He didn't even think about it. He's like, yeah, yeah, how many songs will we sing? Three, four, five, six? And I'm like, great, we've got a show now. That's it, it's cool. So I kind of, sorry, go on. You basically Blues Brothers did. You basically did a Blues Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got the it band. So cool. You got everything. And Jordy, did, did, now did Jordy sing Elvis? Did he sing Elvis? 
He did. He sang Love Me Tender. That was the very first song. And he actually sat down on the stairs and got a lady from the crowd and basically just started like stroking her. It was, it was comical. It was brilliant. So that's how it very, very first started. And then it kind of grew and grew and grew. So we actually then had different riders wanting to sing. And we had sort of three or four riders from the Blue Crew Challenge that wanted to sing. So it was like a, a, the first ever Yamaha boy band and all this kind of crazy stuff. And it was like, now it's just become a little bit ridiculous, but kind of funny, right? So, I, and they raised some serious money. I mean, like at Donington Park, this literally less than two weeks ago, we raised 16,000 pounds in less than 35 minutes. Wow. So they are, you know, so, so the riders are giving up their time and, and we never actually finished the paddock show till 9 p.m. on the Saturday night, bearing in mind that the second Superbike or the first Superbike race finished at four o'clock in the afternoon. Alvaro Bautista had crashed in that race, um, was absolutely fuming as he would be. We weren't even sure whether we would even have half the people turn up because people had crashed. And, and ultimately, we, with the best will in the world, we put these ideas together, but riders are there to race. So right. if a rider's injured or a rider simply says, hey, I just crashed, I'm really pissed off. I don't want to I don't want to come and sing. I don't feel like it. We can't force them to do it. They're giving up their time for free. So we were surprised, like literally just before the start of the show, that we simply had 20 riders in the back and Alvaro brought his entire team and they'd actually choreographed the Macarena and we're like, okay, like it's going to happen then. So it was kind of a full-on show that just went on. And and then the point that you made about the musical sort of fast forward, obviously we had the pandemic. And then I just thought sort of middle of last year, and we were talking about, you know, hopefully we're going to get out of the pandemic and, and hopefully we can do a proper race or a proper show at Donington like, like we've done in the past. So I jokingly said to Donna, who's um, sort of one of the fundraising managers at Two Wheels for Life, I, I just said, look, maybe now is the time to write this musical. Like maybe now is the time to write something that talks about Superbike, like some of the iconic moments in Superbike, how Two Wheels for Life fits into that and, you know, and see what we can come up with. If if I pitch it and say, look, this is what I want to do at Donington, will you, will you support me in it? Because, you know, they already think I'm crazy enough as it is. So if I suddenly start saying I want to start doing a Broadway production on the stage, they're going to be like, what the hell is this guy having for his breakfast? So, so she said yes. And then, you know, we, we had a meeting as we do every year at the beginning of the year and, and and I put forward some ideas and said, look, this is just one idea that I've got for Donington. We can't make it like a full two hour show, but maybe we can take some of the iconic songs that we've had in World Superbike. So for example, this kind of like funnel that you talk about when the riders come down to the Park Ferme, um, we use ACDC's Thunderstruck. Yeah. So I was like, why, why don't we take some of these, you know, I mean, obviously we've had um, Despacito has been sung on the stage and, on Your Feet by Gloria Esther, you know, so all these different songs that people will recognize. And I said, why don't we just pick five or six of these songs and let me see if I can put some lyrics to these songs and let's see whether it works. And if it doesn't work, we haven't lost anything because nobody knows we're going to do it anyway. And we'll just do a normal extended show. Um, and then as I say, fast forward to sort of uh, middle of March and I'm laying in the bath, rubber duck kind of floating by. And I'm just listening on Spotify to all these different songs. And, you know, obviously I go to the theater a lot. So I'd, I'd been to see, to see Hamilton and, and obviously there's certain kinds of songs that you just think I just wouldn't work for the audience. You know, suddenly belting out Phantom of the Opera is not going to work, right? So you're going to kind of cater to the audience. So yeah. I kind of narrowed it down to maybe 10, 10 or 11 different songs. And then I just had this, I don't know what it was. I just suddenly thought it's, we started in the glass elevator from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And that was in my head. I don't know why I was in the bath and suddenly thought of this, but I was like, this is the starting point. And it's, from the idea would be you know, where they sort of go, come with me and you'll be um, in a world of pure imagination. You know, at the end of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yes. and then yeah. Willy Wonka presses the button or Charlie presses the button and the elevator goes up and smashes out and, of the, the factory. And I thought, what if we change the lyrics? So what if it was, what if the start of this musical was a boy 
And what if that boy was me? And like, it's kind of, what if it's how I got introduced into Superbike? And I then tell it through my eyes, but my eyes are actually the same as every other fan that's here, right? Because we're all fans. We're all here for the same reason, but we've all, we've all arrived at, in front of the paddock show tonight for the same reason, because we want to meet the riders. We're fans of Superbike. We want to raise money for charity, but we've all got our own individual stories. So we had like a nine minute window to try and fit something together. So my idea was, you know, change the lyrics. So come with me and you'll be in a world of pure acceleration. Helmet on and you'll be in a world of pure exhilaration. So, you know, and then the duck came back the other way, you know, as the tide kind of changes. And I'm like, and then from there, we could kind of go into like some synopsis from Hamilton, where I don't know if you've seen Hamilton, the musical, but they, they it's sort of like a hip hop kind of um, musical, obviously, about the forefathers and the founding fathers of, of, of the US. But there's some really, really cool music where it's kind of like rewinding as if it's like people seeing things what happened years ago. So it's like, why don't we start the show like this and then put the music in from Hamilton? So it's rewinding. And then it's like, um, from the leader of the pack, I'll never forget it. My first time at the track, you know. So we changed the lyrics, and so the, and that was the idea how we got it. And then we kind of fast forwarded through different songs through Despacito, um, which was just hilarious. Um, talking about you know all kinds of dramas with him in his pajamas, thinking about when Clearly <laughs> rocked up in his dressing gown back in the nineties at um, at um, at Assen. So we just picked out some key moments and tried to make it make it all fit and. Yeah, and I went to a recording studio. We actually recorded it, um, which I'm going to put out uh, on Twitter probably in the summer break. We actually did, yes. did a we did a studio version with a with a girl that's been in in the West End. So she actually put some vocals on it with me. Um, we did a video as well, which was um, which was really cool. So I, my idea was that if if it's going to pour down with rain at Donington and we can't perform it live, I still want to perform it. So we would do it as a video. So we did it as a video with a full a full auto tuned. Oh, sound effect nice. we, we've got that which we'll, we'll put out um in, in the summer break and then it, it was just nine minutes of complete hilarity you know and i ended up coming on with a great big wig inflatable I guitars saw that. i saw you know, that. It, it, was, it was just a complete load of fun and like i'm not the world's best singer but the whole point was just to to do something it was a one-off performance it will never be performed again um never say never but right now it'll never be performed again <laughs> so um, it has a pinball wizard uh, uh kind of element to it also doesn't it yeah, I mean it's it's a bit quirky. It's a it's a bit it, like you said in the intro. It's a, it's a bit Michael. It's Michael style, you know. So it's kind of um, I love that. It's, uh, it's, no, I I love that man. You know, and this and by the way, this is the greatest podcast ever because as I'm talking to you, they, it, it blasts out on the sidewalk. So when people pass them by, they see me as I'm talking to you, and that's why they wave. So I got to wave to them. I don't want to be rude. Oh, so that's I, cool. Yeah, so I'm talking to you. I got to wave them because they can see me as I'm talking to you, and they hear it on the sidewalk. So that's why I wave when they pass by. So don't think I'm. I listen to you, but yeah. So that's why I love it. it's the greatest podcast ever because I'm literally on Market Street in Indianapolis as they're walking by and they hear me and I can and I wave to the people. It's the greatest place so to cool. do it. Yeah, I, I mean Indianapolis is the greatest. It's, it's the greatest racing city in the world. They you know what? That's one of the tracks I've never been to. I've never been to Indy. Never. You know? Okay, listen. Now, as far never. as like anything other than anything other than the 500, the track is suspect. When GP was here, it, the track is shit basically, but. For any, for the any five, no, it really is. For the any five hundred, it's great. Other than that, yeah, it's it's shit. I mean, I just remember when Mark when Marquez was like in, I think he was in Moto Two at the time, or maybe even he was either Moto Two or he was in one twenty fives. He complained about the track being bad. I remember that. Like he, you know, he didn't complain very much, but I remember he complained about the track being bad. So yeah, it's it's a it's a like I said, it's a shit track for anything other than the five hundred. But you got to come to the Indy five hundred, man. It's the greatest single day spectacle. You will have a great time. 
nobody does racing like Indianapolis. I mean, these people do a great job. I mean, they renamed the streets after racers' names. When GP was here, it's Rossi Avenue, Lorenzo Way, Marquez. I mean, seriously, they renamed the streets after the racers. You can't beat that. No place in America do they do that. Indianapolis cannot be beat when it comes to racing. And do we have our own little street then? So Bald Guy Boulevard? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> got to be up there, right? Come on. Well, I can talk to some people, see what I can do. I'll talk to Let's some people. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Now, I mean, joking aside, I mean, I've watched the Indy 500 for years. I mean, I, I, like you, I love all, all forms of motorsport. My heart is two wheels, but I, obviously I, I love love any kind of motorsport. And I watch the, the Indy 500 every year, and it just it always falls either bang in the middle of, of what I'm doing with World Superbike or, you know, if I'm gearing up to get ready for Moto America. And, and Monaco. The, so Monaco F1 is doing that same time also. You know, yeah, so yeah, exactly. So you know, you can only be in so many places at once. I mean, it's definitely on the bucket list. I definitely want to do it one day. Um, but yeah, I've never been, never been. Why now? Why did you at the time? Was it? Why did you get into banking in the first place when your heart was in the bike and your heart was in the racing? I mean, because I did, I knew for a fact this is what I wanted. I wanted to do it. I wanted to do comedy. I wanted to be entertainment. And I knew walking that straight path was not going to be for me. I had to walk the path of least resistance. So why did you go bank? Did you go, I want to, I want to have a the safe spot. And then you you realize what your real passion was, or or why why did you take that path in the first place? Yeah, and I mean, like I, I grew up with bikes. I mean, not a lot of people know this, but my mom and dad um, met through motorbikes. Um, How they met? Um, they actually met on the Isle of Man at the TT. Was, was, she, was she racing too? Did your mom race? No, no, brilliant. She can't even drive a car, mate. Let's not even get there. <laughs> don't even start. Like, no, no, no. I'm going to tell her you said that. No, no, she, she reversed in a car park into a stone wall. I mean, mate, seriously, I was there a couple of weeks ago. She took the wing mirror clean off. I'm like, like, mom, what are you doing? Like, there's a post there. You're meant to like look in your mirror first. Bang, straight into it. I'm just... Yeah, no, she's going to kill me for saying that. It's true. <laughs> we we have CCTV footage from the uh, from from the from the car park as well. I was like, "Mom, you never even turned left. Look, you just went straight backwards." But anyway, that's another story. She is going to kill me for that. That's hilarious. But it's a true story. Like she just can't even drive in a straight line. So it's, it's, it is what it is. And no, she she was definitely not racing at the TT. So no, they, they were there. Um, and I'm actually called Michael because I'm actually named after Mike Halewood. Are so you serious? Yeah, serious. That's a true story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom wanted to call me Richard, but then I would have been called Dick for short. So uh, that's kind of... <laughs> Dick for short or just Dick short? <laughs> well, well, again, that's another podcast, mate. The, the midnight show is uh, tickets on sale later on. But but no, joking aside, I am actually named after Mike Halewood. Um, so yeah, so, that, so my, my dad did trials in motocross. So my dad, um, he did the Scottish six-day trials and he rode with like Sammy Miller and people and Dave Thorpe and people like that. So wow. you, when I was a kid, that's what he was, was still doing doing him with my uncle we would I remember on a weekend I'd be like four years old or something and going off and watching my dad and my uncle doing the trials and not trials like they are now you know like the trials these days is crazy they're on top of like triple decker buses and god knows what else but it was still impressive like going up waterfalls and balancing on stuff and I got a little TY80 Yamaha when I was a kid and like crashed it through the fence like on the first time I rode it like you know but all that all that balancing on rocks was just like not for me do you know what I mean I could barely stand on two feet so you know it was kind of it wasn't really for me and you know I I I did a bit of racing and you know I had some fun at it but I've always enjoyed racing to a point um but definitely up until I was about eight I hated bikes I hated bikes I hated cars anything with noise when you talk about being a geek I was that I was that geeky kid like a really soft kid that just wasn't into sports per se um just quite liked, and I, I was I was one of these kids that would get bullied because I loved school. Like I would go back to school tomorrow, and I keep saying to my niece and nephew all the time, "Like I know you hate it, I know you don't like it, but stick in at school because for me, I loved school. There wasn't a, even 
with lessons I didn't particularly enjoy, like science or whatever, I loved school. I'd be up and ready, bag ready, half past seven on the morning to go to school. I absolutely Why? loved it. What was about it you loved? What was about it you loved? I just liked the learning of it. I just really liked the fact that I would, would go to this place. And I guess when you're nine and 10, you don't really understand it so much because you're just a kid. But I would go to this place and, you know, I was really fortunate with some of the teachers that I, that I had, that I got on really well with the teachers. And they just spoke in a way that, I don't know, just for me, it was, I just liked learning. I liked learning about stuff. And, and then as I got a bit older and got into to secondary school, like with drama and with languages, I found languages very easy um, to pick up. Um, and I kind of went the complete geek way. So instead of picking all the sciences and things, I was like, let's do Latin on a lunchtime and be one of only three people in the classroom. But it's all, you know, I, I was that guy. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, but I don't know. I just, I just really, really enjoyed school. So I think for me, as much as I enjoyed the the racing and, you know, obviously a little bit of an exploit into riding on a track, but, you know, I was never going to be a world champion and I was kind of, I was okay with that. You know what I mean? So I never really thought of, of having a career per se. I thought about maybe team management, um, but obviously I was, I was sticking in at, at school and, and college and things like that. I got some good, good results in school. Um, and then it was a case of an opportunity came up and it was like, well, do you fancy working in the city and you can head up this department? And you now I was going in and doing meetings with CEOs of Santander Bank in Madrid you know, in the banking technology. So I was kind of still presenting, but just in a very, very different way, in a very, very professional Structure. business way as, as an early 20 year old, you know, so it, that's, that's what I did. And then, like I said, I got this opportunity um, to, to go to Assen to do this grid walk. And it was kind of like, I don't know, why not? Let's give it a try. And, you know, my mom and dad were like, just go for it. Like, you've got nothing to lose. Like you like racing and you never stop talking. So why don't you, <laughs> why don't you go and, and do it? And, and, and yeah, it was just something in acid. And like I said, I, will, um, I still speak to Frank now um, from, from Superbike News. They're like an online news site now. And I will be forever grateful to that guy because, you know, he could have picked anybody and, and he took a bit of a punt on, on some guy that, you know, I was writing a few articles and just doing my, my own little voice bits and bobs, you know, back in the day. And it was kind of, you know, they didn't have a massive budget. They didn't, they couldn't pay for a big celebrity star and, you know, and I'm not a celebrity star anyway, but, you know, back then I was just this, it's not, you know, teenager and they're like, well, you know, a lot about bikes and you're clearly intelligent. Do you fancy doing it? And it's like, yeah, let's give it a go. And I think it was probably on the, I'd only been in Aston maybe, maybe two or three hours. And it was just, I don't know, it was just something about walking around the paddock and, and people just suddenly talking. And I was like, actually, and I, I don't know, I, I can't put my finger on it. I honestly don't know what it was. It was just something clicked. It was like, maybe this is your career. Maybe this is what you need to do. And I don't know where it came from. It was, you know, no, I'm not had that feeling. It's Assen. There's something about being at Assen. I've been there twice and it's almost, it's weird, but it's almost like it's life changing. And I know it sounds uh, yeah. weird, but there's something about Assen. I, 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 I just got back from Assen. I was like, I love this place. I stayed in Groningen, had the greatest time ever. Amazing place. Amazing town. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. And then I was at the rate. I, I literally walked that track around three or four times in my lazy ass. I walked that track and I was just like, and a feeling of emotion came over me. And I just, I love that. So I think it was a combination of like, Hey, how'd you get your chocolate? My peanut butter. And that's what it was. Yeah. Like right. it, was, it was you, your passion, meeting ass. And, and when those two meet together, it's like magic. And that's what yeah. it was, man. And also what I would far forget 
You've mentioned three or four times in this thing where you always mention kind of like drama. Is there maybe a chance that you're going to maybe, I mean, you're always in California. Maybe, you know, you're going to get an agent, maybe try to act maybe because I'll see you on the silver screen. Maybe. Do, do you know what? Like, it, it's funny. Like a few people have said to me, like I, I've done like amateur dramatic stuff. So I did, um, I did some stuff in, in the West End, the Boy George musical Taboo. So I, I was in part of, of that for, for, t- for two or three weeks, years and years and years ago. And I was the narrator in Blood Brothers um, years ago. So I do like acting and I do like being on, on the stage. I'm not going to no, lie. But, no, um, you? No. Yeah, no, you'd never have guessed, would you, right? No, but no. I, I don't know. You know, I think right now I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think there are still things I would like to do. And, and I have explored, funny you mentioned about having an agent because I've, ex- I've explored that for other work um, in the UK. But it's, it's so hard, like, to get a show reel and to, you know, to do things in the correct way, um, you know, and I, I don't want to do something half-hearted. So I, I don't want to do something that's going to, you know, not not necessarily be the right thing for me. So, and I don't want it to jeopardize what I'm doing right now because, you know, I've worked really hard to get where I am and I really enjoy where I'm at. So I'm, I'm comfortable with, with where I'm at, but, you know, if an opportunity came along to do, I don't know, a reality TV show or if I could be involved in, in some documentary or, or something, then for sure I would, you know, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, as I'm in the States quite a bit with Moto America and, and I'm going to be back in the States in December for, for Scott Redding's um, wedding in Hollywood. So I'm probably going to take a few extra days and, you know, maybe have a look and see, but I kind of, I'd like the idea of, and obviously you've had like the James Corden show, right. When he's right. been over there and he's interviewed, it's more actors and things like that. But I kind of see like, a, I'd, I'd like to do kind of a, a TV studio version of a paddock show, but not, not a paddock show, you know, but kind of a where you're, you're interviewing guests, but there's a bit of humor, there's a bit of singing, but it, but it's connected to motorsport in some way. I'd have to get, I, you know what I mean? I haven't thought about it too much, but you know, be the guy behind the desk, but all the guests are sport related, you know, but it's, keep it's jotting ideas to, down. Keep jotting ideas down. Honestly, just keep, keep a, a pad on you. It's like comics do. Just keep jotting ideas down. It has to be a, a complete idea and then it'll formulate. It's weird because it'll come to you at the weirdest time. Maybe when your rubber ducky is going across. I was going to say when I'm in the bath again. When you're in the bath. <laughs> all those ideas, and I always tell people this always, is that sometimes my best ideas come is when you're quiet in the morning. If you can wake up and there's no one there, don't turn on TV don't, and just be quiet for like 15 minutes. Take your shower, take your bath or whatever, and let those ideas come to you. And, and being quiet or being still for 15 to 30 minutes in the morning makes all the difference in the world. And with your creativity, it's going to come, man, because you have that. I mean, you have that magnetic. Like I said, you're boom. It's like, it's like, a, a, you're like a, a positive magnet. You just boom. It comes to you. I say... Let the reality show be you. Follow you around because you're a jet <laughs> no, setter. God. I mean, you really oh, are. You're no. a jet setter. You're all the time like you were know, cool now. But hey, you got to get out of here and, and go to the Czech Republic. And then you're there. You're doing a paddock show. I mean, it's like you're a sizzle reel on your on your website. It's so damn good, man. It's like you, Thank you. You have everything. Jot those ideas down. Something will happen. It might not be on the major networks, but who gives a shit? Be on something like FX or whatever that's going to let you have creative input where they go, oh, yeah, no, now you're talking FX. My favorite TV show is American Horror Story. So if, um, yes, if, if I saw Brad Faltuk or Ryan Murphy are listening to this podcast, I'm your man. All you got to do is pay my flights. I'll do it for free. I want just. I'll do it for free. Just give me a cameo on American Horror Stories, and then that's it. You know, I'd love that. I, I can see you doing that, dude. I really can. I love I mean, that show, man. I love that show. I mean, like. I mean, people are going to listen to this going like, this guy is all motorsports, he's theater, he's American Horror Stories. Like, what is wrong with this dude? <laughs> are you a Gemini? Are you a Gemini? I'm not. I'm Pisces. Oh, 
I, I honestly, when I was going through, I said, this guy's got to be a Gemini because he's like me. He's this, he's that, he's this. I mean, you're like, you got your, like you said, when you said theater, my favorite thing in the world doing is going to the late show, late movie on a weekday night when no one's there. I mean, that way it's just you in the theater. It's the great. Yeah. There's this kid that ruined the last Mission Impossible. I wanted to throw this kid right through the screen. It was like a four-year-old and he kept talking. And I want to say, if you don't do anything with this kid, I will. And I was this close to picking him up. No, I'm not going to say but anyway, I, it, it got on my nerves. So I love going to a movie, weekday night, the late show at about 10 o'clock. No one's there. If they are there, yeah, like, I love why don't you have a job? And so that's why I look good about it. <laughs> I mean, we're like this. And I, I love that. And what I want to ask you, being that exuberant personality, has there ever been a time, and I, I'm guilty of this, where you talk to a writer and they really weren't about that. I mean, like they're, maybe they're, they're here with someplace else, or whatever, but you kind of pissed him off a little bit or you could tell like, I don't think he's with what I'm putting down here. And you got, and you had to kind of like, you know, exit stage left. Has that ever happened? Yes. Uh, uh, can you tell what writer it was? Can you tell? <laughs> no, I won't. I won't because I'm, I'm only just back on speaking terms with them. So no, I'm joking. I mean, no, there, there has been. And I think you'll know what it's like as well. I mean, in that moment, the rider finishes a race and there's emotion, right? Yes. Um, and a whole load of emotion, whether they've just won, whether they've just, you know, finished second or third, or in some cases, especially with what we do on the paddock show, like you will maybe remember from, uh, from Laguna, we also bring the riders that have the fastest lap or the pole position, but they might've just crashed on lap seven, right? So yeah. the last thing they want to do is come to the paddock show and celebrate, Hey, we got the fastest lap, but we got no freaking points. You know what I mean? They don't want to come and talk to the bald headed guy on the stage and, <laughs> be inundated with fans that want photographs. They don't want that, you know, yeah. but it's part of the job. So yeah, for sure. I've got, I've got it wrong a few times. Um, not to the point where I think I've really pissed them off where they maybe want to punch me, but you can tell by somebody's body language where it's just like, just ask me one question and I want to get the hell out of here. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I got to say though, for the most part, and I'm not just saying this because I, I still will actively work in the championship. I've never really ever had to go head to head with any rider. I've never had a rider of any level from right from the top, from, you know, even when Max Biaggi was, was racing, you know, and, and people said that he could be difficult to, to get interviews with. He was always really super cool with me. Like there was never an issue. People used to always say about Keenan Safoglu, you know, man, that guy, he won't talk. He won't never had a problem. Maybe with his timekeeping, you know, maybe he needs a Wilbur watch um, to get there uh, on time. But uh, you know, um, apart from that, but again, you know, it, if a five-time world champion is going to be five or six minutes late, okay, it's not perfect if you're trying to run a live show, but you could deal with it. You know, yeah. I think we did yeah. we did did that even with Tom Sykes. He was getting a massage. Was it 2017 or 2018? And rocked up 15 minutes late, and then he comes on the stage. I'm like, mate, you've got 24. I think it was at the time 24 or 20, whatever it was. You've got X number of Tiso watches. How the hell can you be late, dude? How the hell can you be late? You got more what? You could open a watch shop. Like, how can you be late? Oh yeah, sorry, I was having a mask. But you just you just roll with it, you know. And and, yeah. and Tom's the kind of character where he would he would give it back, you know. I mean, some of my some of my fondest memories are on on the paddock show with with Sykes and, and with Geordie as well, you know. Just some of the things that they would say, and and also the humor as well, especially with Tom, especially when we were in the UK. Some of the things he would say would be. It's like if you go to a pantomime, you know, and you go and see like a Christmas panto and the kids are all laughing because they think it's really, really funny. And all the adults are laughing because they're laughing at the kids don't understand actually what the innuendo was just said in yes. that joke. Right? You're like, man, that is so filthy. Like, did they just say that? on, the, on the, You know, and Tom would kind of do that. And like, for me, that's I kind of like that quirky kind of humor. And some of the things that, you know, when when I would go back and forth with him and we'd have this sort of three or four minutes conversation. You know, I've, I've said to him before, I said, mate, when, when you retire you know, 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, Let's let's just go and hire a theater somewhere and do a completely unscripted 
two-hour show. I said, you'll sell it out for sure because the stories that, that he's got and, you know, all of his experiences that are still related to racing, but he articulates them in such a funny way. And I think I remember as well at Laguna going to the, the after party at the, I can't remember what it's called now, the the, the pub um, in near the Portola Plaza, but there's a, there's a bar on the corner and um, that's where everybody used to go. Yeah. And I remember it being, I don't know, one o'clock in the morning and everyone's kind of had a few drinks, end of the weekend, good weekend. And there's Sykes dancing on the table and we're like, man, he must be absolutely hammered. Like, I don't even know what day it is. Like, and this guy is going some stone sober, doesn't yeah, touch alcohol, yeah. just completely enjoying himself, drinking water and Diet Coke or whatever the hell he was drinking, you know? And you just think, man, that's cool, you know? And I think... I think, you know, as I said, we, I've been really lucky with, with all the riders. They've all got very different personalities, you know. Um, and I think what I try to do with all the riders is, you know, you, you'll know from being a presenter, you can ask the same question to 10 different riders in a different way and still get the same answer. Yeah. Because everyone's individual. So I think I'm quite fortunate with the fact that, you know, I know a lot of the riders quite well. I'm friends with quite a lot of the riders. So you can kind of get away with a little bit more than you normally would. You know, and if, if someone's had a bad day, you, you know that you can push a little bit more because you're kind of on that level with them. They're not going to take it too seriously. But, you know, yeah, there, ha there has been, there's only one that sticks in my mind where I, I did ask a particular rider that's still racing now, so it wouldn't be fair to say. Maybe I'll put it in an autobiography in the future one day. I don't know. Can you give us a hint? Uh, he, he still races in superbikes. That's all I can say. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Which, which narrows it down to any one of 24 riders, I guess. But now let, let's just say that there was a conversation once we got off the stage um, oh, where oh. they they just felt that it wasn't appropriate that quest the line of questioning, and I was like, okay, but my job is to make a show, and this is what happened in the race, and this is the question that I ask you, and you can choose to answer it in whichever way you want. You know, I'm not putting words in your mouth, so you know. There was a, a bit of a discussion, and we, we shook and shook hands and hugged it out. And the next day, they were they had a much better day, and uh, and and they were all smiles smiles on the public show. So, but I think that's you know you you got to understand that, like I said before, when we're talking about the musical and the singing and you know the the stunt show with Top Rack, it's first and foremost those guys are athletes and they're there to race motorcycles you know and it's their job you know they're not there to sing karaoke songs they're not there to like scott sticking his hand in the box with a blindfold on trying to guess what's in the box screaming you know that he's just touched a knee slider but thinking it's like a hedgehog you know it's kind of it's you know what i mean they're there to race and the fans are there to watch the racing and my job is to talk about the racing and and, and these are the things that are kind of secondary to that so i think you know i'm always a little bit conscious depending on what show it is. You know, if, it, if it's a podium show, then it's a lot easier because the top three guys are on the podium and more or less everybody's kind of happy. You might be a bit pissed off that you didn't win the race, you only finished second, but you're going to get a lot better response than if you're the guy that just crashed from getting the fastest lap, you know? So I think you have to just be adaptable. I, I, I totally agree with that. And also what I think, I'll, what you should do, if Sykes is like that, there's got to be another rider with that kind of personality. And what you guys should do is, and I mean this, Try to find a comic club that's that you know that uh, maybe in London. I don't know. It, definitely in the UK. You and Sykes run out a comic club because it works over here. They you know with uh, professional wrestlers like Mick Foley has it. He does run and go comic club. He sells out and just talk racing and have have little comedy skits. Like you open up for Tom Sykes, have Sykes come on stage and and do a little comedy and then add and have the 
crowd ask him questions try it for like a night or two at a comic club like an off night at a comic club maybe during a racing weekend and i guarantee you you will sell it out and it'll be a big thing but do it soon because you know he's still in the in the lexicon but do it soon i guarantee you try at least a night immediately after maybe during a race weekend or definitely maybe after the season, but immediately after the season, I guarantee you'll sell out. Between your personality and Sykes together at a comedy club where you can be uncensored, oh my God, who wouldn't pay to see that? I'd pay to see that. I'd pay to host it. What are you talking that's about? That's what I'm I'd saying. You host it. it. <laughs> that's money in the bank right there. You should do that. I'm because you, like I said, man, I don't care what I don't care what the kind of shit you're saying to me. You are so Hollywood, right? I mean, not Hollywood, Hollywood. Like you don't know me. Like sunglasses on in the nighttime, which I think is douchey. Well, I just had my teeth whitened, so again, uh, I mean, Hollywood smile. I've got that, it going on. Right? I saw that, and I wasn't gonna say shit. I wasn't gonna say anything, but I was like, <laughs> man, well, this I was, dude I was, is I was just funny because it's kind of the elephant in the room, right? Like Greg Haynes my good friend from uh, from Eurosport and he's always ripping the piss out of me. I remember the first year we went to um, to uh, to Qatar and he said on the live TV broadcast, he said, don't worry, folks, um, if there's a power cut, we'll still be able to race. We'll just get Michael to smile at the end of the straight. I was like, dude, like, you just, you know, but I, I don't know. I, I, I'm always just being that kind of guy where like I take the piss out of myself 24 seven. Like, you, you know what I mean? I, I laugh at myself. Like life is a blessing, you know, like I'm, I'm grateful yes. to be here. I'm grateful to do the job that I am. And, I'm far from perfect, you know, but I don't mind taking the piss out of myself. And if someone wants to take the piss out of me, it's all good. good. I really don't care. I don't it really should care. Be that you know? way. Okay, so when it's all said and done, when it's when it's okay, like enough racing and you really want to unwind, what does Michael Hill do? Does he play Fortnite? Does he drink wine? Is he breaking out the old twister set from when you were a kid? And you're, I mean, what do you do to unwind? What does Michael Hill do when it's like, <sighs> no racing, which is, which every now and then can can be a blessing when like maybe like mid December, you know that's when it's like okay I can do that racing for a little bit, you know holidays whatever. Yeah, what do you do I mean again that's a really good question because I saw my mom and dad at the weekend. They came to Donington and, and we were talking and and I've seen them a lot more obviously since the the calendar change and things because of the pandemic, but. Pretty much, I, I I very rarely. That sounds really strange, but like my ideal holiday wouldn't be to go and lay on a beach. You know, it, it wouldn't wouldn't be me. Like, it, you know, my ideal holiday would be to go go to Egypt and spend two weeks looking at all the museums and the pyramids, and maybe spending two days on the beach. You know, um, it's like I just I just did the the two races. I give you an example. So I did the two races for Moto America. I did the Ridge, and then rather than coming home for four days and flying back for Laguna, I stayed out. So I was like, what can I do? What's on my bucket list? Let's go to Vegas. Yes. Right. Yes. I don't really drink. I don't gamble. Right. So why the hell I picked Vegas? <laughs> I've got absolutely no idea. But, you know, and it's kind of like, let's go and see it within. And I, and I mean this in a very respectful way, you know, and I, I've got no, nothing against anybody that wants to go and live that kind of lifestyle. Within four hours, I wanted to leave. It was like, it's not my idea of a holiday. This is not relaxing at all. Like, you know, it's too full on. It's, I don't want to go and sit in the pool party. I mean, I, I paid, I think it was $50 to go to the pool party thing, what it was. But then they were going to charge me like $150 if I wanted to lie down on like a, some lounger thing. And then you had to spend $100 on drinks. I'm like, well, that's a hell of a lot of soda water that I'm going to be drinking, right? So I'm like, you know, I think I did a I sunbathe for all of like 15, 20 minutes. And then I literally went back in the room and started watching back old races from Laguna, knowing that Laguna, and that's a true story. Oh, That's I, a true story. I, I, I no, like I said, man, we're almost like Ken. I mean, granted, I, I, you know, I don't drink a lot, but when I do, whoo, I, I drink like mojitos and yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not like completely teetotal. Like I can go out and have some beers, and like you right. know, 
as I said in Vegas, I did catch up with one of the mechanics and, and his family and girlfriend, and we went like to um, uh, what's the name of the street? The old street. Oh, oh, I know, uh, da- uh, uh, downtown Fremont. Vegas, right? Fremont Street. Yeah, Fremont, Fremont Street. Yes, 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 yes. So, and that was cool. We were out till one in the morning. I was drinking. I was dancing. Had a good time. So I can relax in that way. But I, you know, during the season, I mean, what do I do to relax? Bloody hell. I, I, I like, as I say, I like going to the theater. I like going to like to to theater and things like that. So I, I do tend in the winter to go a lot with friends, you know, to to see various plays or musicals or whatever. Not kind of into the whole ballet opera kind of thing, but you know, I, I appreciate going to that. I like spending time with family, which is something that you know I didn't really do in the last four or five years because my schedule was so busy. So I think the fact that you know COVID for me was a it's going to sound weird what I'm going to say, but it was kind of a blessing because it allowed me to reconnect a lot with my family, which yes. not that I didn't, it makes me sound like I was estranged from, if I wasn't like we would speak all the time, but it was always zoom calls or did you, did you make it to Indonesia? All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see you tomorrow. Cause I'm going to, you know, it was kind of like that. And obviously my parents are getting older now and, and, you know, dad was a little bit sick. So I think the fact that, you know, having that time now, like in between races, like I came straight from, from, from the U S I went straight to Donington. They came to Donington. Then I went and spent four days up north. Like I have a, I bought a property up north. So that's probably, yeah, I guess now you would say, what am I doing to relax? I'm, I'm renovating, reno, renovating a house, which I've actually called Laguna. I uh, saw actually. that with the yeah, stairs. Yeah, that's, so, that's your yeah, so I mean, yes. yeah. So I guess historically probably theater and kind of just hanging out with friends, but nothing, nothing crazy. I live quite a simple life, which is kind of weird, right? A lot of people would think that because as you've said, I have this quite outgoing personality and what you see is what you get. But kind of behind closed doors, I'm quite quiet. Like I would quite happily come home, unpack, put the washing in, put the TV on, have a cup of tea on the morning with a slice of toast. Like I don't live this big extravagant life. And like I know a lot of people maybe don't think that. And the message of the people on Twitter, oh, you're here, you're there, and this must be great. And I'm like, but my life is not really that. My life is, my job is like that for sure. And, you know, and I wouldn't change that for the world. But behind the scenes at home, I'm quite a simple guy. I'm not this big extravagant party guy. I'm not very outspoken. I like to keep myself to myself, you know, but definitely, yeah, I would say previously it would have been relaxing at theater and stuff, but now definitely it's kind of theater thrown in with a little bit more family time. Cause I think I'm appreciating now maybe four or five years of not necessarily, not that I, not that I couldn't devote the time, but I just physically wasn't in the country. So yeah. I can't see family, you know, and I think seeing, seeing dad in hospital, um, in 2020 was a big wake up call for me to just kind of go shit like this, this could be the end of it. Do you know what I mean? And, right, and it's no, going to happen definitely. at some point, you know, I don't want to turn the podcast into a, into a somber thing, but I think for <laughs> no. me, it was kind of a, it was a bit of a wake up thing to be like, geez, like I, I need to really treasure like these moments now because you know, he's not getting any younger and you know, my schedule is getting busier and you know, if something did go wrong, you know, and, and, and sadly, you know, that was the end of the road for him. Then I've lost a lot of time by not spending time with him when, especially when I look back now and I'm seeing things, maybe because I'm just getting older now, you know, like when you, I guess when you're a kid, you see things very differently. Like not that I was a very, I wasn't a selfish kid or a spoiled kid by any way, any stretch of the imagination. I was brought up by two great parents who taught me right from wrong. Like I won't even say the word shit in front of my mom because she'll still slap me around the back of the head. Like, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. just the way that I was brought up, but it, I was always brought up to, to value, um, to value the, 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 the price of, of anything, you know? So it was like, if you want pocket money, you have to work for it. You have to earn it. We're not just going to give you one pound or two pound or five pounds a week. Is your bedroom tidy? No. Well, you're not getting any pocket money this week. Do you know what I mean? All, all life lessons that I, when you're a kid, you kind of, you don't see that. You're like, Oh my God, my parents, the worst parents, like you, you know what I mean? And yeah. I remember talking to friends at school. Like, I can't believe you've got 10 pound pocket money. I've got three pound. 
you know, and like, I can't understand it. You know what I mean? And it's like not understanding it as a kid because you want to be the same as everybody else. But I think my parents have told me that like, it's actually, that's not the, the value of life. Like the value of, 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 of life is to, to appreciate everything that you've got and to work for what you've got so that you appreciate it. And also just, just to appreciate everybody around you. So for me, it's kind of, and I think that stretches also to parents, you know, and I'm, sort of saying probably more than I should really, but you know, I'd, I'd never like talking so personal, but you know, I don't think I thanked my parents enough for what they did when I was a kid. You know I'm, what I mean? I'm in the and same. I, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite embarrassed about that because I think Jesus, like my mom and dad sacrificed so much for me. You know, they never, when I said, Hey mom, I remember the phone call. I'm in London and I'm doing my drama thing. And I'm at, my, my secondary school was like drama and stuff. So I was, I was doing all of that. And then obviously I'm working in banking and mom and dad are proud and that's all great. And, I'm going to go to Aston, Dad. Right? Okay. Enjoy it. Aston will be great. Me and your mum have been there. Have a good time. Yeah. And then, kind of, you know, you fast forward a few years, and it's like, Mum, I've got something to tell you. And I remember my mum looking at me. She's like, My God, have you got someone pregnant? Oh my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> off she goes on this tangent, and I'm like, No. It's like I haven't got anybody pregnant. It's like not that I'm aware of, like you know, but that's not what I need to talk to you about. Like I need to actually tell you something really serious. Yeah. And she's like, What's the matter? What's the matter? And like you can see in her hand, she's like, Are you sure you've got nobody pregnant? No, I haven't got anybody pregnant. And she's like, What do you want to tell me? And I was like, I just quit my job today. And she's like, What do you mean? You just quit your job? And I was like. Yeah, I'm going to go and work full time in World Superbike next season. And there was just silence. And I remember my mom like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you're in a really good job in the city, like good money, like a good future. What are you going to do in, in racing? And it's like, well, I'm going to try and be a presenter. And my dad's like, well, good for you, son. Good for you. And then I just remember the daggers that my mom shot my dad across the room. And it was just kind of like, you know, and, it's, and they have this bit of a discussion. And then like two or three days later, and I remember my mom and I said, look, whatever you want to do, we'll support you. Like, we don't, we don't think it's the right thing for you. Like, we think it's not going to lead to anything, you know? And that's what, and I can see where they're coming from, like with parents. It's like, if there's parents of races, right? Everyone talks about, I want to get a MotoGP. I want to be the next Valentino. I want to be the next Marquez. There's a small percentage of racers. How many thousands of racers around the world want to be in MotoGP and how many are actually going to make it? And I think one of the things that I definitely didn't really appreciate at the time is the fact that you know, my parents just kept me grounded, you know, and they, they were, I think the things they told me was kind of like, it might not work out. So yes, you're going to get, you're going to go for this and you're going to give it everything you've got, but if it doesn't work out, have you got a plan B? You know, what's going, what's going to be the next thing if this doesn't work out, if you don't make it as a presenter, you know, what if you're not good enough? What if they don't like you? What, you know, what are you going to do? Because you're closing the door on this career. So, you know, even though in the early days of me doing the job that I do now, I did have a backup plan. You know, I, I still did other things just in case it went wrong. And I think I wouldn't have done that if it hadn't been for my mom and dad. And that's kind of a long-winded, kind of a bit philosophical for me and not my normal kind of style. But I think it's, you know, I'm sure there'll be people listening that, you know, when I get asked a lot, what, what would be the advice if you wanted to do it? I would be like, You've got to chase your dreams. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't. Yes, right. But, yes, but you've yes. also got to but you've also got to be realistic that it might not work out. You know, it might not. So you've got to have something to I'm not saying you have to dedicate all your time to the plan B. Of course not. You have to focus on plan A, but you have to be aware that something in the background might take over, that it might not work out. And you know, and, and that was important for me. So I think, yeah, I, I, you know, long-winded answer, but I think now more time with 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 family when I can and, and obviously this new project for the house, which is which is kind of cool. Well, I think, honestly, if you find your passion and you say, I'm 100% all in, and you say, you know, if it, if it doesn't work, I just think if you're going toward that and maybe that doesn't work, another avenue will open, a door will open where you go, okay, and, and, it'll, and it'll be almost, 
as rewarding because with time, with age comes perspective. And maybe that dream that you were achieving is like, okay, maybe that's not what I wanted, but this is this door here is opening up and it's kind of in the same avenue that I wanted. So, and I'm happy. So it's right. like, you know what I mean? I, I'm a firm believer in that. If you go 100% all in and you're looking at this goal and this door opens, you go, okay, I'll take this. And maybe you can backdoor it. You never know. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. It maybe sounds like I'm being fun. But maybe that, you know, that musical, that Wars with Bike musical, that creativeness behind that, maybe somebody who's uh, maybe a producer in Hollywood or something, go, you know what? That just may work in a weird way over here because I had this idea, blah, blah, blah. You just never know. That's why you chase that passion because another door is going to open where you can backdoor it and you go, wow, I ended up here. Okay. I mean, I'm just a firm believer in that. I'm a firm believer in chasing this dream. And that's why I loved having you on because I knew you were going to be this way because, like I said, there's nothing but I I feel a synergy between us. And it sounds like I'm being full of shit, but it's the truth. There's a synergy I love about you because it's nothing but positivity. And listen, I know you got to go, but real quick, like, for my producer who's 21 years old, he doesn't know a goddamn thing about racing or whatever. (laughs) And and I always try to get him to come in. So if you were going to sell World Superbike to him, if you're going to sell World Superbike to my producer, Wyatt, who I love, but he's a pain in the ass, if you're going to sell it to him, what would you say to him? Like, Wyatt, this is why you should watch World Superbike. What would you say to him? I would say it's high-speed racing. It's accessible. um, It's family-friendly. It's a whole lot of fun. And you might even be able to sing on the stage. So what's not to go, what's not to like, right? <laughs> well, this kid, he doesn't even know. What's his curry? Oh, actually, to be fair, what, what, um, what, why you said his name was, right? Why? Yeah. Why? Come what, here. What's, yeah. What, bring, bring him in. What's, what's his, um, what's his, what's his song of choice? I, I need to, I need to vet all applications. Hey, Wyatt, good to meet you. Hey, what's my, what a choice? What's, what's your song of choice? I mean, we don't just let anybody sing on the paddock show, you know? Um, what is it again? Your song of choice. What's your song of choice? Just like a, a song, song I like? Yeah, if you were going to sing a, a karaoke song, song to thousands of racing fans, what would it be? Oh, man. Uh, he didn't even know who Pearl Jam is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know shit. He doesn't know who Pearl Jam is. The, the, the world-famous group in the world. And I said, Pearl Jam, he goes, what's that? And I go, oh, my God. almost killed him. Yeah, I do well, like I'll musicals, tell you what. though. Say again? I do like musicals, though. Oh, what's your favorite musical? Sorry, I'm just hijacking your show now, mate. But anyway, I like In the Heights is my favorite, probably. I like okay. Les Mis. I like. I mean, I like a lot of different musicals. Oh, cool. That's good. Les Mis is long, though, right? We still have that over here. It's like three and a half hours long. I mean, yeah, I, I enjoy, it, but it's long. But it's good. It's good. Into the Heights is good. Have you seen Hamilton? Oh yeah, Hamilton is. I, I love him. I've seen it three times live. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. How many shows have you know, seen? I don't even know that. So that, that's oh, sorry, we're, we're just taking this podcast in a completely different direction. I know, I know, I've, got to catch a, I know I've got to catch a flight and I've got to get to the airport. But anyway, like, we, 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 we need to do another one of these shows. But, like, Dude, the, the, we the, have to. I, I don't want you to miss your shit. I, God damn it. I love you, Michael. I really do. Okay, Mike. Two quick questions and I'll, I'll let you go. Okay, two sure. quick questions. Sure. On on even bikes, like you know, I don't know if you remember the IROC series here in the United States years ago mm-hmm. when all the racers from all different disciplines had they were in Camaros, they were uh, Z28 Camaros, or they were like so if they had something like that in in motorcycle racing, okay, and all the racers from World Superbike and MotoGP raced, if it was between Mark Marquez and Jonathan Ray, who wins? Oh, dude, you can't ask me that. Yes, I can. Shit. I just did. Oh man. On, e- on equal bikes, on equal bikes, uh, but the same bike, prepare. Who wins? Jonathan Ray, Mark Marquez. 
10 laps. They're so different. They're so different in terms of their styles. And so I was talking to this about someone the other day um, when they were talking about Jonathan Ray when he made the wild card in replacing Stoner. And they're like, oh, but he didn't win. He didn't win. I'm like, what Jonathan Ray achieved on those two races was phenomenal. He had no testing. You know what I mean? So it's a really, do you know what? I think it would be a last lapper. I think it would come down to the last lap. I think they're both very different. The riding styles are very different. They all have, you know, they both have very different experiences. Um, I guess it would depend if the bike was more production or more, um, more you know, prototype, equal. maybe. They're all equal. They're all equal. All equal. Everything's, I mean, it's it's almost like a world, yeah, it's, it's all equal. I would say world super sport. Okay, bike, but no. so I'll tell you what. I, I would say that if, if, if it was three races, Marquez would win the first. Just. Jonathan would win the second and it would be complete carnage in the third one. So I'm going to answer it as yes. diplomatically as possible because I'm still I'm still involved in both championships and I don't want to say something that's going to get me a lot of shit on it on Twitter. So I know do you know what jo- joking aside though, I think I think it would be close and I think it would be closer than a lot of people would think. I think the immediate the immediate sort of reaction if you put that out on a Twitter poll, my my genuine feeling would be that 70%, maybe 60%, 70% would say that Marquez would win. Would be my feeling. Well, I think that's what the majority of people would say, but I could be wrong, but that's what I think the majority of people would say. But I think the reality would be completely different. I think the reality is that on the same bike with the same testing and then you go and race, I think it would be really close. I really do. I have no doubt. And I mean, it's from the bottom of my heart. There's been a couple of things that happened in my lifetime that I've seen that hurt me in my heart. That was uh and it's weird, and it's real weird. But one time when, when Gary Coleman died, because I remember his mm-hmm. wife was on the phone and she heard his voice, and it, it, it affected me. And I mean, it's from the bottom of my heart. When Jonathan Ray didn't go to World Superbike, and I mean to to MotoGP full time, and they said, and he goes, "I'm on the wrong side of 26," and I just remember that, and I would, and that hurt me more than any. I mean, you may be the only person who understands that, but that hurt me so deeply. I remember that. I read that, and I go. And that just hit me hard. It it almost made me cry. I mean, that's how much I love racing, but it almost made and I mean that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost made me cry. But yeah, and I love Jonathan Ray. I really do. I mean, I love Marquez also. I love them both. I just love racing. And I wouldn't even try to start a fight. I'm not like a ooh kind of guy, but I just want to see what you think. And listen, yeah. I know you got to go. I really do. Michael Hill, I know you got a jet. My God, thank you so much for your time. I wanted st- that the ending part was what I wanted from you because we don't know the in the, the, in here. We all know right. this, but I want it in here, and that's what I got from you, and that's all I wanted. From no, you. I know I've let my guard down now. God damn you! People know a little <laughs> bit more about me, but no, I mean seriously, man. I know we've talked about doing this for for a couple of years, and we never got round to it with everything that's gone on. But you know, thank you for for getting me on. I'm sorry that I made you wait so long. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a blast. And like I said, I would have happily stayed longer. I've just got a ton of things to do. And if I miss go. my flight, then there isn't going to be a paddock show in the Czech Republic. So <laughs> go, go, go. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. I appreciate you, man. I mean it from the bottom. Of thank you guys for watching Tales from a Gemini. I'm BT. You know what I say about this time. Peace.